to the Quarter to Three Games Podcast, where we talk to the people who make the forum what it is about the things that matter to them. Today, we have with us John Rowe, who will be discussing uh, Dwarf Fortress. Uh, John, did you recognize that song by any chance? No. Who, who sings that song? That is a group from the 80s called Soft Cell. Okay. And everybody knows the song uh, Tainted Love. Uh, oh, okay, okay. But that is their uh, their other famous song, uh, "Sex Dwarf." <laughs> that, that sounds like that song has a story behind it that we'll never know. I, and it's just when I think of Dwarf <laughs> Fortress, it was either that or the Short People song by Randy Newman, and I I can't remember ah. Randy Newman. Uh, yeah, no, no, that's good. Good call. So uh, you are uh, you have been around on the forum for a while. You you post under the name John Rowe. You're you're easy yep. to find. That was not my original name, but it is now. Oh, what was your original name? John uh, Danger, as you. Oh, it. that's right. <laughs> uh, but I believe it was John Danger was the correct pronunciation, and that is a lot of my Xbox Live Steam ID stuff is still that. But that's right, and I forgot about that, and that's because we were all sitting around at my house one night playing on the Xbox 360. And, you know, when somebody signs on, uh, a little notification pops up. And if you're like me, you always think that means you got an achievement. But yeah, you're like, oh, yes. Oh, oh wait, no. <laughs> yeah, right. It's just someone signing on. So one night we're all sitting around playing something. I forget what it was. <laughs> and the little notification popped up that said, obviously, you know, John Danger has signed on to Xbox Live. And one of my friends who I, I don't know, he just reads differently. He's a friend of mine named Jason. He lives in Australia yeah. right now. He, he just sort of furrowed his brow, and he said, John Danger. <laughs> <laughs> I like that better, almost. It, it, that is awesome, especially if it's like the the hero who doesn't even know that people, who wants his name to be John Danger, and yeah, uh, yeah so. Yeah. Now, you, what part of the country are you in? Are you in the Midwest? Uh, from Wisconsin. Wisconsin. Oh, up there, right, right. I have a little sister in Wisconsin. What do you think of Wisconsin. I uh, lived in Wisconsin all my life. Uh, I've been all over the world, um, and uh, I actually like Wisconsin a lot. It's uh, especially Madison, the area I'm in. It's super. Uh, it's like the San Francisco of the Midwest. <laughs> Wait a minute, really? Uh, yeah, yeah. Uh, if you go to uh, you know Willie Street, uh, there's uh, all sorts of uh, kind of hippie head shops and. Uh, Lots of uh, homeless people singing music on the streets. Kind of very interesting atmosphere. Um, and I don't know. It's just it's it's a neat place. Lots of stuff to do. Um, beautiful. Two big lakes. You know, just um, and the people seem to be pretty nice. Mm-hmm. Now my sister lives in a place called Rice Lake, and I think when they want to go to a like a nice theater or something, they have to drive to Madison. So yeah, yeah. Uh, is that where you are in Madison? Uh, yes. The actually. I'm, a suburb Middleton, but uh, Madison's two seconds away, like literally a two-minute drive. Um, and, uh, yeah, the Overture Center, which is new uh, for the arts, is actually just a beautiful – they do operas and stuff there, a new uh, million-dollar facility they built a couple years back, and it's, it's pretty neat. Um, so, yeah. And what did – 
And what now you, you said you, you finished school a couple of years ago. What have you been doing in Madison since in Middleton since being done with school? Sure. Um, well, uh, when I graduated school, um, I had a biology degree, a uh, bachelor's of science in biology. I minored in uh, theater performing arts. Uh, which is an interesting combo. So, yeah, hold that thought. I want to hold the thought about what you've been doing since then. What happens yeah. that you're a bio, biology major and you're doing all this theater? What, what's well, going I did, on there? I did a lot of uh, theater and kind of public speaking stuff in high school, and uh, I really kind of got into it. And um, I tried out for a play at Edgewood. Um, I can't remember the name of the first play I was in. Uh, I was a student-directed one act about Orson Welles, and I played the uh, – uh, uh, what was his? Who's his best friend? Uh, Joe Cotton. John, Joseph Cotton. No. Oh, oh. Shoot. John. John Houston. Good lord. Okay. Yeah. Um. Anyway, I played his character equivalent in the play. Uh, and uh, that was a lot of fun. And I met a lot of great people. And uh, I just, you know, it was something I liked doing. Uh, a minor wasn't too much effort, and I got to meet a lot of great people, do a lot of fun plays, and you know, just kind of get my uh, uh, acting. I guess need to be on stage, urge out um, through that, and uh, actually, I'm still in an improv group that um, has some members of uh, the theater department in it. So mm-hmm. to this I, date, I know that well. That whole uh, you do your school stuff on one side, and then you do the theater stuff to sort of address that creative impulse on, on yep, the other yep, side. Yeah, definitely. Uh, now, real quick, I, this this is bothering me because I got to think. It's not John Houston. Who the frick is the dude who is Orson Welles' sidekick? And I know this, John, because I recently saw a Richard Linkletter movie called um, Oh Rats. Why can't I think of the name of it now? Maybe Me and Orson Welles. That's a stupid name. Is that the name of it? Oh man, uh, it's where Zac Efron, the, the, the guy from High what? School Musical. Yeah, he plays a fella who works at the Mercury Theater with Orson Welles. And the actor playing Orson Welles, I should have looked at, I, I couldn't have looked it up because I had no idea you were going to bring it up. The actor playing Orson Welles, I think his name is Chris McKenna. He does a fantastic, spot-on Orson Welles impression, and he carries the movie. Uh, yeah. I think it is me and Orson Welles. But anyway, a fantastic English actor named Eddie Marzen plays Orson Welles' friend, who's not John Huston. You played the character. I can't believe you can't remember your character's name. Oh, uh, well, uh, John Houseman. Houseman. Uh, Very good. Oh, God. God. Thank you, John. Um, <laughs> no, my character's name was different because it was kind of a, uh, it is a weird play. It's kind of, it was called War of the Worlds, and it's kind of a retrospective on his life and how he kind of, it was a one-act play that was mm-hmm. about 45 minutes, and uh, uh, all, the, all out of the characters' names were changed except right. for Orson Welles. So, anyway, John Houseman was the character. Oh, I'm so glad we cleared that up. Have you seen um, me and Orson Welles? No, I haven't, but that sounds good because I, I see this Zach Efron as a teenager commences. It's on the Wikipedia page I brought up. Yeah. Um, yeah, it sounds interesting. I mean, Orson Welles is a fascinating uh, guy. Now, uh, what? so was that your first play? Oh, no. No, no. Okay, I have a really good first play, um, and I guess we're probably not going to talk about what I did after college, but that's We'll get fine. to it. i got to know it right here. <laughs> oh, okay, as long as you got to it. Uh, so the first play I did was uh, uh, in, in – uh, Eighth grade or no seventh grade, and I actually um, was in football because I'm a big guy, big tall lineman type guy, mm-hmm. and I hated it because all I did was get slammed into, and I was like, this sucks. And so I went to you know the theater people. I was like, oh, you know, I had you know wanted to maybe try that. It sounded like something was fun. I got in a play called Lagooned, um, which is totally a play written for eighth graders, um, <laughs> and uh, I played a gorilla in a gorilla costume. <laughs> 
But I wasn't a gorilla because my character was a man in a gorilla costume acting as a gorilla. Um, and, uh, yeah, and so my first experience on stage was in a gorilla costume, like jumping into the audience and scaring little kids. Very nice. And it was a lot of fun. And I, I guess I continued on from there. I did in high school all sorts of plays and musicals. Um, uh, and then in college did a lot. I guess uh, the, the biggest role I've ever been in was uh, Oregon and Tartuffe, which I did my senior year of college. Um, if you've read Tartuffe or know that uh, French play, um, we played a very farcical version of that. And mm-hmm. uh, or Oregon's the, the father figure that is totally being swayed by the religious Tartuffe into believing that uh, he's, you know, has the family's best ideas in mind. And it's kind of a, a really funny play. And I end up underneath the table while Tartuffe has my wife on top of the table and, and coming onto her. And it's a very funny scene, especially since I'm so large that I'm underneath this little table. And that, anyway, that, very fun play. That sounds very, very much like French farce. I can totally see yep. it. Uh, yep. You, you mentioning the gorilla, by the way, John, made me think of the, my first experience with theater. Okay. And it was probably, oh, gosh, I don't know, like fourth grade or something. Uh, it was just a, a, a an excuse for little kids to do a St. George and the Dragon play. And okay. the, the dragon was basically a big old sheet draped over three little kids. One <laughs> one kid was the dragon's head, and he got most of the lines. The other two kids were on either side, and they were the dragon's right and left paw, and they got a couple of lines. I was the dragon's left paw. So okay. you got to be a whole dude in a gorilla. I was the dragon's left paw. I had, I had one line at the end of the play, and I don't remember it. Um, oh, so the gorilla doesn't the guy in the gorilla suit doesn't even talk. He's basically just jumping around the stage. Exactly. He's uh, like a minion of the main like uh, 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 like voodoo priest shaman guy that's trying to foil the uh, lost uh, uh, vacationers on the island. And uh, so he kind of is this little. I carry off a woman at one point, and I just uh, yeah. So I didn't. I have one line at the end where it finds out that we're all actors in a play or something. Um, and I'm just like, yeah, what do you think about that or something? I don't remember. <laughs> anyway, it's a really, really, really funny play. That's some sharp writing there. Yeah, what do you think yeah. about that? Now, here's yeah. what I'm curious about, John. I hear you say that. I figure you're in, you know, a, a suburban Wisconsin school. Could they actually afford a gorilla costume? They they had one. Wow, nice. A full gorilla suit. I have no clue. It was, um, yeah. Yeah, a little town, too, like 10,000 people in oh. Monroe where I went to grade school and middle school. So are you doing anything before? And I, I want to know what you're doing after college, like job-wise and stuff. But are you still, okay. you said you're in an improv group, so you're still doing theater stuff, right? Yep, yep. I uh, love doing that. Um, I'm in an improv group, Experiment Royale. We were uh, recently voted best in Madison, uh, the second best in Madison for performance groups, which was kind of neat. Um have only been around for about a year. Um, but, yeah, we do monthly performances. A lot of people show up, have a lot of fun. Um uh, improv comedy is something I do a lot of, and if you ask uh, other forum member Flowers, um, he'll say that I need to do more stand-up comedy with him. But have you done stand-up? Uh, once, and it was terrifying. Now, okay, so here I want to hear about this, John, because I have always admired you guys who do improv, because that to me seems like it would be terrifying because. It just requires, you know, your synapses to fire, and, and you, you just got to have a certain quickness and, and confidence in, in mm-hmm. what you can think up. But when you're doing stand-up, you, you're leaning on material that you've refined and built over time. Uh, why was that terrifying and improv isn't? Or is improv terrifying? It's, yeah, improv is totally not terrifying. for the to- uh, And I am a very, I guess, uh, 
fast thinker, I guess. I'm, I'm really, I've always been really good at improv kind of stuff, just thinking up of quick things on the fly. Um, but uh, the reason why improv is not terrifying is because you're on stage with three or four other people. I mean, you have people there to support you. And, and the thing we call an improv is, is you try and pimp your others. Like other people on stage, you try and make them look good. Nice. You know, bring things in that they can build off of, you know. So you're never on stage alone. Whereas when you're doing stand-up, you know, you're on stage alone, you've written your material, you go through a joke, and silence. And you're just like, ooh, there's nobody to the left of me that's going to just throw in a funny line to get them back on, and then I can move on to the next thing. It's just, okay, moving on to the next one, you know. Um, and I don't know. It's something I could see myself doing. It's just it's a lot of work, a lot of work writing material, getting, you know, that all together. Um, I really admire those uh those people but now uh, when you did stand up what was the context was it like an open mic night or? yeah it was an open mic night yeah uh -huh. um and what did you go up there with did you like slave over material for a while did you throw something no. in the night before how did it go a little bit of both i kind of had been uh kind of trying to dip my toe in the waters for a couple of weeks and so i had a couple things thought up um i had some bits about uh oh man i don't remember uh, i made fun of the bathroom there i said it looked like uh you get uh you know, uh, sold some needle drugs in there, or get hepatitis or something. Um, and, uh, I mean, that went over pretty well because it's a shitty-ass bathroom. But, um, like, I don't know. I, uh, I had some jokes about uh, uh, superheroes, like awful superheroes, and I don't even remember this. is all that about D&D &D nerds and... Geek and humor. Stuff. Geek humor, a little bit, yeah, um, okay. which I have a lot of geeky experience with. Mm -hmm. um, but, um, yeah, so... I tried so, that once. I, I, I'd like to do it again. I just don't have the nerve. <laughs> but you're doing improv at least once a month, it sounds like. You guys must meet and rehearse as well. Yeah, uh, pretty much every week. And then, uh, you know, we have our monthly kind of performance. You, get, you know, 30, 40 people show up every month. It's kind of neat. You get a little following. Now, you mentioned uh, you guys were voted second best. Yes. What? Who are the jerks that beat you out? And what can we do to support check, you guys over them? Check this out. Madison Symphony Orchestra. <laughs> Jerks. No, They're probably no. not even that funny. I know. They they just get up there and they play their music. And so <laughs> the people think that's great, I guess. Uh, anyway, um, yeah, which I mean, for a group of like six, seven people that have 30, 40 people show up every week or every month to be close enough to the symphony orchestra, you know, that's hundreds of people. I, I think it's pretty neat. And, uh, yeah, so. Who are these other, uh, you said six or seven people. Who are the other folks that you were in the improv group with? Like, as, as in, are these, are these some folks that you fell in with after school? Have you known them for a long time? Are they buddies? Who are these people? Hmm, I seem to have lost you. Either that or you refuse to disclose their identity. I'm sorry, I hit the mic button. <laughs> That's okay. If it was a sensitive question, you know, I understand. No, no. Um, <laughs> the leader of the improv group, um, or the so-called leader, we don't really like to have that, but uh, she, the person who started it was my minor advisor in college. Um, she had done a lot of improv before um, college, uh, before she became a professor. She'd done uh, stuff in um, Detroit area, actually. Um, and so she was like, you know what, I want to do some improv again. So she got a group together, a bunch of people she knew from town. Um, uh, a couple of my ex classmates from college uh, were in it as well. Um, so it's kind of a 
couple Edwood people, a couple people from the community that done uh, improv in other groups before that are defunct or were defunct. So mm-hmm. putting uh, a squad together. Are there is is there so you you mentioned that Madison is kind of a, a San Francisco. Is there a good theater scene in Madison? It sounds like you said you get about twenty thirty people every show. Yeah. Uh, so th- there's enough of a scene there that are there other theater groups? Is are you guys kind of unique in Madison? Well, there's there's lots of theater groups in Madison. Uh, we've got the, you know the Mercury Players, uh, the the Madison Rep, um, uh, the Overture Center for the Arts has touring groups that come in. Um, uh, I'm trying to think. Of, uh, the, the, the Bartell Theater. Um, there's just lots of theater groups in Madison. So it's not like you guys are doing well because there's no one else there. You guys are obviously doing well because you are good. It sounds like it, you're, you might even be too modest to say that, but that's the reason I asked that. So I think, enough... I think we do a good job. Good. I mean, and so, uh, and I think we are really good, and we have a lot of fun. Um, I could go on about the theater scene in Madison. I'm not a huge, huge fan because it's a lot. A lot of the theater is, is very. I guess shock theater alternative kind of stuff. And I'm not, there's, is, I don't know. I, it's not my thing really. Um, so as far as satisfying that creative impulse, are you cool with just sticking with improv? You mentioned maybe wanting to try stand up again. Do you have any desire to do more traditional theater? Um, yeah, traditional theater is fun. Uh, I like to do comedy a lot. I'd love to do sketch comedy and mm-hmm. improv. You know, that's, that, that's, my favorite thing. Um, I, I've uh, uh, and I do I do enjoy acting a lot. Actually, you know, it's always really interesting, and I've done serious roles before and plays, and that's always fun. Um, but uh, I guess uh, uh, being funny comes easier to me, especially with the way that I look. And you know, I'm six foot five, uh, goofy looking dude. <laughs> you know, and just comedy comes naturally. I mean, physical comedy. I just need to stand next to someone. You know? So. Um, now that, here, that, John. Go ahead. Sorry. No, and and that's that's why I've always done comedy, and it's it's always been fun. I like to make people laugh. It's just the way I am. Okay, so here, John, is is the the question. Let's get down to brass tacks. You ready for this? Okay. When are you moving to L.A.? I don't know. I have some friends that are moving very recently. Ah, you're thinking about it, aren't you? I know. It's horrible because that's like jumping out into the ocean from the docks, basically. When you, you know, it's like you sit up there with your, your water wings and all your, you're like, oh, I've done all this training. I got all this. I know how to swim. But then, you know, you got to just do it, jump out in the water, you know. Um, and that's just scary, you know. And uh, uh, I guess we'll see. <laughs> all right. Well, when you do, uh, come to my house every Thursday night and hang out with us for a shoot club. Okay. We would love to have you. We hang out. Uh, we geek out at my house. We play video games. We talk movies. And uh, you sound like just the kind of dude we'd love to have around. So move to L.A., hang out with us. We want you here. We'll see. If my friends that move out do well enough and get their own place, I can sleep on their couch, and that, that's a little bit more alluring than just going out on my own. Well, so this leads then into what I started to get into before. So what have you been doing in the last two years since college that might mm-hmm. keep you in in that in that part of the country. Do you have a, a kind of a job thing that's holding you down there? Well, um, I worked when I graduated college. I got a, um, I've done a lot of uh, kind of IT stuff in college. I worked at the tech department, did a lot of IT. So I got a job at a software company doing QA. Mm-hmm. Um, and I just, it, after a year and a half, it was too much. It I was, was going to say it sounds wretched. It was just, I was like, 
everything. It was just, I was overstressed, not sleeping, just horrible. And so I got out of that um, when it was perfect time, you know, year, uh, about a year ago to leave a job, you know, you know, that it was the best time, best employment opportunities ever. Um, and so I was unemployed for about seven months up until early July when I got a job at a chemistry lab doing kind of uh, some biology chemistry kind of work. Uh-oh, this sounds serious, John. This might interfere with any plans to move to Los Angeles. Go on. So you're working at a chemistry lab. Yep. But it's just, I'm just an entry-level chemist. I mean, it's not like anything's holding me down. The only thing holding me down is the, the lease on my apartment and uh, ah. the, the fact that my girlfriend's still going to school here. So. Ah, when does she graduate? A year and a half or so. So. And what will her degree be in? Music. Oh, you, you're totally okay. Yeah, you're coming to LA in a year and a half. I'm I'm calling yeah, right. it right now. <laughs> you're you're gonna kick around there. You're gonna do your chemistry job just long enough to start to maybe hate it and make have to make tough decisions about do you advance in this job or not. Your girlfriend's gonna graduate. She's gonna have a music degree. You guys are gonna come out to LA in 18 months. All right. Yeah. I'll she's be. A, she's a singer. Um, I sing too. That's how we kind of met. Um, I'm actually in a professional choir in town. Another thing I do, I, I'm a Renaissance man, truly. Um, <laughs> but yeah, I sing uh, in a uh, kind of a, a chamber choir. This sings uh, very old music. Um, now I, I don't. It, I just want to say, John, and I hope this doesn't make you uncomfortable. But I'm, I'm right about now, and I've heard you speak before. But especially right now, and, and hearing that you can say that you sing, uh, I just want to tell you. And again, I apologize if this makes you uncomfortable. I, I'm really gay for your voice. Oh yeah, <laughs> you just have this like great voice. I I want. I'm not going to do this, but I, I want to say, will you sing for us? I'm not going to do that, but I want to, just so you know. Oh uh, God, <laughs> you know, honestly, maybe I'll maybe I'll think about doing it after we're done here, and you can I don't know, cut it at the end or something. Okay. But I, I, I'm I sing mostly in groups. Doing solo stuff is like the thing that makes me want to die, you know, because it's your own voice out there on its own. Um. But I do sing, uh, like, baritone tenor. Um, and I have been told that I have a nice voice. And I've always kind of wanted to get into radio as well as something that I thought I could do. Um, now, one of the things you mentioned when you talked about this new art center that opened a couple of years ago in, in Madison, you mentioned that they do operas. Are you are you an opera fan? No. <laughs> okay. My okay. girlfriend's a huge opera person. And that's kind of her type style of music that she sings and, and is good at. So. Uh, just okay, because I, I, yeah, I, I, I'm a, I'm a huge opera fan. I guess. Uh, all right, well, I'll, I'm, I'll have to I'm have. I'm sure I'd like it. Uh, well, I'm sure I'd like it if I ever saw it. I just I've never been into that. So. When you and your girlfriend move out to Los Angeles, she and I can talk about opera. <laughs> you guys can go to an opera show. Exactly. We have those out here in L.A. You know. Yeah, yeah, they have them here occasionally. <laughs> have you ever been dragged to an opera? No, not yet. I'm it, sure I will be. It can be an excruciating experience, by the way. If you're not into opera, it, it can just be horrible. Uh, don't go to, don't go to Wagner. Don't go to anything modern. Make sure it's some nice, inoffensive, palatable, middle era like Italian composer. Don't even go to a Mozart opera. Make sure it's like some Verdi or Puccini or something. Just, just. Okay. I don't want it to be a bad experience for you. Uh, okay. So uh, you, before we make it sound like you're a really cool like like theater music dude, let's let's. Also established your geek cred, which you've touched okay. on before. Uh, you have a background uh, in tabletop RPGs, correct? Yep, I, I've done a lot of D and D in the past in college and now. So, 
So just straight up D and D? Do you do other art, tabletop RPGs? What what has been your your uh, the extent of habit? Okay, well I played Second Edition um, because we were too cool for three point five um, <laughs> in college, uh, and then I started um, at Epic. I met a bunch of other nerds because that place, uh, the software company I worked at. Um, was just full of, of other nerds. And so we all kind of were like, let's play D&D. And we played it after work in one of the conference rooms, and we had a lot of fun. And I still play with them to this day. Um, uh, 3.5 uh, and Pathfinder, which was very similar to 3.5. Um, and I'm going to get even nerdier because I run a game now that's actually uh, based on the British television show Red Dwarf. Oh, my God. You are a nerd. <laughs> I know. I know. It's crazy. I've seen that show a lot. and. Okay, now let me stop you real quick, because I've heard of Red Dwarf a lot. And in my head, I don't know the first thing about it. When I, I'm assuming, it, is it some kind of like Monty Python-esque fantasy, comedy, British, Doctor Who TV show? What is it? It's a British TV show. It's very much a sitcom. Okay. Uh, uh, where it's um, uh, just, uh, the, the basic premise is the main character um, is on the ship, uh, and some horrible circumstance happens he gets thrown into stasis uh ship kind of basically blows up except well it doesn't blow up but everyone in the ship's killed through like poison gas leak or something and he has to wait three million years until it's okay for him to come out um and so it's basically like stranded in space three million years in the future there's a hyper evolved cat that was left on the ship that uh cat society evolved and devolved through the millions of years and um and it's just kind of a, a weird, quirky British uh, comedy um, that takes place in space. Um, so it's sci-fi. It's not even fantasy. No, it's just just pretty much hard. It's hard sci-fi. In fact, there's not even aliens in the lore. Everything in the universe is all man-made. So every weird thing they come across was either a genetically engineered life form or something, which I always thought was really neat. It's the hardline stance. There's no aliens. It's just the man's creation. So you mentioned you run a, a Red Dwarf based campaign in D&D or in some other game system? It's actually, there's a Red Dwarf RPG system that exists. Ah, okay. So I've got a book, um, which is actually really funny. It's written very well in the Red Dwarf style. has ads for certain things on the in, from the show and the pages. And, um, and that's, uh, like, when I play gaming, like tabletop gaming, I like a lot of second edition, which is a lot of storytelling and just kind of group storytelling. And that's a lot what Red Dwarf is like. It's kind of like you get a group of people together and you basically just have fun and mm-hmm. tell a story. And there's some game mechanics in there. Uh, I can, <laughs> for, in, for instance, um, in the game, the last session we had, I created uh, an organization called the TSA, or the Time Safety Authority. <laughs> um, and uh, it was on a what they call like a wax world, which is like a planet. It's basically a giant wax museum, but with like animatronic living, breathing wax droids um, that are basically every famous person that's ever existed, every historical person that's ever existed, fictional characters, everything, basically. Um, and uh, uh, so they traveled there, um, and uh, they, they kind of take on missions to keep the timeline uh, preserved. And so, you know, they have these famous people go back into time and portray their actual person and kind of try, you know, like, say... Uh, you know, Hitler is going to take over the world or something, and you have some famous person, uh, the wax version of Hitler comes in and plays it a different way, you know, and uh, there's an antagonist that's kind of puppeting all the bad stuff that's happening to the time stream. It's kind of the idea I had with that. Um, But they take all of their missions from a wax David Bowie, 
is the uh, <laughs> is the leader of the wax people. Um, and uh, now this yeah, stuff that the, the stuff that you just described, John, how much of that is from the TV show or from a module that 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 came with the game, and how much of that is stuff that you made up? Uh, well, uh, probably about ninety percent made up. <laughs> uh, the there's some bases in the model, like here's some cool ideas, like here's the wax world. You can base something off that. And so I made all the time safety stuff up. And I thought it was a neat idea that you would have wax versions of people going back into time to act out history the correct way, you know, to, to, to keep things uh, good. Uh, so that, that's, I mean, seriously, that's really clever, John. I, I like the sound of that. That makes me want to, uh, I was going to say that makes me want to join you guys when you play. I'm not sure I would go that far, but if I were to play a tabletop RPG, that's one that I would want to play. That sounds really cool. <laughs> yeah, it's. I like to play games that aren't too inhibited by rules. I mean, and that's. I could go into the whole fourth edition discussion and 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 even 3.5 to some extent. It's just more and more rules, you know, and it's more and more of a like a, a tabletop move your figure to the different square game instead of a, let's tell a unique story in this world, you know, which is what I really like. And it's probably why I like Dwarf Fortress. I mean, well, that's before we segue into Dwarf Fortress, that's that. I think John, what you're talking about right there is a huge issue for, uh, not only for tabletop RPGs, but for video games as well. Uh, this tension between, you know, some of us like, games as these rules-based challenges and some of us like them as as narratives you know storytelling uh and how do you connect those things how do you make those things dovetail neatly without focusing on one or the other too much uh do, do you feel like uh do, do you feel that tabletop rpgs do a good job of that uh, you're, you're sort of it sounds like you're you're kind of dismissive towards some of the the recent D and D changes because you feel they favor the rules based stuff too much is that actually accurate? somewhat and here's the thing is that the thing with D and D is basically it is like an unreal engine and you have the game developer is the DM I mean they can make it whatever they want to be. You can play a fourth edition campaign where, you know, you are pretty loose on the rules and more about story and less about combat. But I just think that the, the newer rule sets and a lot of the stuff that Wizards has been doing has really been pushing the tabletop gaming aspect. And so people see it more of that that way in the, in the newer systems. And, uh, and, and that's, you know, it's up to the DM. I mean, it's up to the group of people that you play with is how you're going to play the game, which is what's so beautiful about, you know, um, uh, like tabletop gaming is it's pretty much you know always going to be different you know mm -hmm. it's never the same um, every time how often do you play weekly uh once a week thursday mm -hmm. nights actually oh well okay you're gonna have to change that if you move to la you know <laughs> well i won't be able to play in madison if <laughs> that's LA, true so uh, have and, something else to do Thursday nights. And do you always run the game? Do you guys take turns? But so real quick, in your Red Dwarf thing, it's obviously not called DMing. Are you just a GM? What do you? What do you? The AI actually. Ships <laughs> AI. I like that. Yeah, it's actually pretty neat. Um, and and uh, for your Thursday night group, so you're always running the games. Do you guys take turns? We take turns. Yep. Mm -hmm. um, we have three games right now. We have my Red Dwarf game. We have a 3.5 campaign. Um, and uh, that we've been playing for about a year and a half, and then we have a Pathfinder, which is similar to 3.5. Now you mentioned that before. What, yeah, what is Pathfinder? It just came out last year, um, about a year ago. Um, so it's, it's rather new, and it's basically um, Paizo, uh, the company Paizo, took the 3.5 kind of OGL 
rules and then basically added on to them, kind of evolved them in a different direction that 4th edition went to, mm-hmm. um, kind of stayed more in line with the 3.5 heavy rules, um, just more realistic simulation kind of thing, whereas 4th edition went more for let's have fun playing a game where we get to do cool stuff, whereas 3.5 and Pathfinder are more this is a really cool world that we're in that we can do cool stuff in. You know what I mean? It's 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 a different ideology, but they're not altogether mutually exclusive. You know, you can have fun in both. Now, when when you guys uh, meet on Thursday nights, uh, how late do you tend to go, and how much do you actually get done? <laughs> it depends on what we're doing. Uh, <laughs> if it's like a big combat, it'll take just hours and hours and hours of people just chatting and we make fun of each other and just have a lot of fun uh we usually start like five six get done ten you know so four or five hours a night Uh every every week basically um and we yeah we have a lot of fun uh so now i don't i don't know if they're listening so maybe you can't say but maybe if you talk quietly but are there some people in the group who you hate it when they show up and some people in the group who you love it when they show up and you don't have to name names Oh, no, not at all. I, I, everyone's just so much fun. Everyone kind of brings something else to the table. Mm-hmm. And uh, we all we all really get along, which is why I think we've been going for so long. So we just have a really good group. Does your girlfriend right. ever play? No. She thinks it's stupid. <laughs> <laughs> well, good. Then you don't want her anyway. Do any girls play? Uh, there are girls that play. Um, when I play, uh, my friend kind of drags me to some... Uh, a fourth edition. Actually, I'm going tonight to the last of the D&D Encounters Dark Sun fourth edition group play kind of thing that they have at the local game store. Um, and there are lots of girls that play. I mean, it's not like uh, it's a mutually dude-based experience, but uh, a lot of the a lot of I think there's a lot more girls that play the newer edition because it just it's it's new and it's kind of getting a little bit more popularity. So people are just kind of coming more towards it. And I think girls have been becoming nerdier and nerdier as time has gone on, which is a good thing. <laughs> well, I think uh, what it is, John, is they're raised by nerds like us. I mean, they have, yeah, they're, exactly. they're women with nerd fathers. And I don't, I don't mean to discredit women who can be nerds on their own, I'm sure. But I think mm-hmm. that's part of what we're seeing is that nerds are raising yeah. children, half of whom are women. <laughs> And now, that's cool. <laughs> I agree. Now, let, let me ask you this, John. In your experience at, uh, like, at the, the gaming group and with your own group, how many people do you think are coming to this through uh, World of Warcraft, or is that even a factor? I don't know. Okay. I, honestly, a lot of the 4th edition people that play, um, at least in the groups that I've been in, um, and in my group, nobody's come through through WoW. The, D, the D&D group from, from work from years ago is just people that like playing D&D, finding each other. Um, whereas the 4th edition groups, is kind of uh, the way that the Wizards has set it up, which is really smart, is they kind of have, uh, you can come in for free, they have pre-made characters that you can, you know, play, and just kind of learn how to play D&D. So there's a lot of new people there, uh, which may or may not have had some experience with RPG with WoW, but the people in my group talk about 3.5 campaigns and all this stuff that they've done, so they're mostly... Uh, it's a kind of a mix, I think. There's a lot of new people, um, which is really great for, for tabletop gaming. they got new people into it, you know. Um, so, Do you or any of your group play World of Warcraft or any MMO? I'm curious if I, it's a mutually exclusive thing, like if you only have time for one or the other, or if any of you guys oh, do both. I had lots of time in college. Um, <laughs> I didn't have a girlfriend, uh, so 
I had lots of time um, in college. I played tons and tons and tons of World of Warcraft. Like, that was my sophomore year of college. 2005, 2006 was, wow, I was in a raiding guild. Uh, I was an officer. We had, you know, fat loots, epic, you know, it was just like all pre-expansion, you know, old school World of Warcraft. And I still play a little bit today. Um, uh, come on, hold on, hold on. There's just this thing that's playing a little bit. What does that mean? <laughs> oh, I really, I, I honestly, if you, uh, I am actually in the quarter to three guild. Okay. Right now, uh, drop, drop bears on Moonrunner as a plug. Um, uh, really cool people. Um, um, but I, I moved recently uh, to a new apartment with my girlfriend, and uh, so we had. I, it's been it's been about a month. I mean, I, I played probably I played with my roommate. We kind of got into it together. Um, about once a week, one night a week kind of thing. So. And when Cataclysm... Go, go ahead, not as much as what? Not as much as it was. Like, when I played, I was the addict uh, when I played. And, and I was, like, all I thought about during school or during work was playing WoW. I installed WoW on my work computer. Wow, that's, that's yeah, big. Yeah. Yeah, I was... Ooh, it was it was it was a thing for me, and uh, and I kind of broke out of it when Burn Crusade came out, and I I guess grew up a little bit. I don't know. I just I and that that sounds a little bit derogatory towards people that play WoW, but uh, I, I guess I just I, I moved past my addiction into other things. You know, I got more involved in theater and had more stuff to do. So now, when Cataclysm comes out, is that going to be an issue for you? Or are you going back in? Or are you going to hold out? Oh, I'm going back in. <laughs> okay. <laughs> uh, and then we're, that's why I started playing because I kind of want to gear up and get my guy to level eighty. I haven't played any of the new Wrath of the Lich King stuff, so we've been kind of going through that. It's it's a lot of neat stuff in the game. You know, it's really really neat. Like they really made a good game. <laughs> and, okay. um, and I would have talked about WoW probably uh, if somebody already had it on your podcast. You know. Well, let um, let so. me throw down with you real quick, John Rowe, and throw this out. Okay. You ready? Lord of the Rings Online is better than World of Warcraft. I I played some Lord of the Rings Online. I bought it when it was on sale once. Um, played a month. I just and, and the part of it was it's just the art style. Really, like WoW. One thing that WoW really does is that they have kind of their cartoony ish style that just looks really good. Like no matter what system you play it on, it looks very iconic, you know, looks good. Whereas like Lord of the Rings was, you know, trying to be pretty realistic. And if you have a nice rig, I'm sure it looks good. But on my computer that I had at the time did not look good. And there's just texture pop in. It was just like, uh, so it was such an ugly game to me um, on my computer that I just, I was just, I don't know. And, and, and I was still wow addict. So, Trying the other sauce was just distasteful, you know. I guess it was too too different. I guess to my mind. All right, if you're a graphics whore, that's okay, John. If you can't see that's... beyond it, <laughs> I could try now. It's free to play, isn't it? It is free to play. It just went free to play uh, this past weekend. Yeah. Um... All right. Well, I'll I'll have to download that. I have a much nicer computer now um, that I'm sure would look better on. Um, you're just saying you're just saying that to placate me. You're not going to play it. You're you're gonna you're just holding out <laughs> cataclysm. But thank you for trying. <laughs> Maybe I I actually literally have it installed. I installed it when I read about that because I was like, oh, I remember playing that once. Maybe I'll try it out again. And my Hobbit minstrel that I think I created might still be around. Um, 
Yeah, no, they they didn't delete it. As you might know from WoW, the, the, these companies will will never delete stuff because they always want you to come back and give That's it. That's the money. absolute worst, but best business decision ever. Is like when we, I the reason we started playing again is I just started talking about playing WoW and raiding in the past two years ago when I had so much fun with my roommate, and I was just like I could walk over to my computer right now, type a couple things in, and have it in two minutes, like yeah. ready to go. My character's still there. Last place I was, like, a year and a half ago when I stopped playing, and it's just, like, it's it's awful. <laughs> so your, char- your character's waiting for you right now. <laughs> I know. Uh, what is your main character's name in World of Warcraft? <laughs> so the first character I ever created was uh, a Tauren uh, hunter, mm-hmm. um, and I loved the Tauren stuff because it's all, like, pseudo-Native American, kind of a neat story. Um, and he was named was, was Muatolan, which was a... <laughs> Uh, it was a uh, auto name thing. I was kind of RPing it because I was a bit of a nerd, and so I was like, "Oh, I want to have a realistic name and a character." Uh, but the main character I play now on um, the Drop Bears Guild is named Walt Whitman. Um, <laughs> that's not RPing. That's, o- that's totally <laughs> <No>. OOC. <laughs> and he's a little little gnome with a big white beard and big white bushy hair, and he stabs people because he's a rogue, um, which is very un Walt Whitman like. But it um, is. <laughs> And then my my roommate plays a character who's a a, a priest. This is you, you might get kicked out of this. He plays a priest, a uh, human priest named Lewis Carroll. <laughs> Very nice. Almost a bit too gauche, but you know whatever. Uh, we have fun. Now you so. for for your age, you can say something that not many dudes your age can say. I bet. And you mentioned this to me before we started recording. You actually have played Pong. Mm-hmm. Now, how on earth does that happen? A fellow who just finished college two years ago, mm-hmm. you guys your age don't play Pong. How did it's, you come across Pong? It's really interesting. Uh, I had such a weird gaming history when I grew up. Um, my parents were, or specifically my father, was just anti-video games, just not not like a thing that there are murder simulators or anything like it. It's just like, yeah, you could do much more constructive things with your time than play games on a computer. You spend too much time in front of the TV. Um, and so uh, we never got, you know, game systems and stuff. Um, uh, we did get Game Boys, I think, uh, when we started going on car trips. And so I maybe played some Tetris or stuff. But Now, real uh, quick, when you, game... when you say we, do you have brothers and sisters? Is there a whole castle of you kids? Okay, you and a brother. All right. Uh, my younger brother, two years, we mm-hmm. were hung out all the time, played games together. Um, uh, so I was searching through my parents' uh, kind of basement area in the back, and we found a Pong machine. And I was like, Pong, what is this? It looks like a, a video game kind of thing. And I was like, oh, that's the thing that we can't have, you know, a video game system. So we hooked it up to the old uh, TV, have the, the, the screw on, the UHF adapter, you know, the RF adapter thing, um, which I somehow figured out at age eight. <laughs> and, um, yeah, we, we, my brother and I played Pong, and we loved that game. Like, um, And then, I guess, it's kind of where the spark kind of started, and uh, we started going to garage sales because um, it's always fun. And uh, I, I got an Atari 2600 for, like, $5. Um, and I started playing 2600 games. We'd go to used game stores, and, you know, because we're little kids with no – you know, very small allowance, maybe $5 a week or something. You know, we picked up a bunch of Atari 2600 games. They're like a dollar, $2. And uh, I remember Combat being one of my favorite games of all time, um, playing Combat with my brother, which is one of the first Atari 2600 games that ever came out, I think 1978. And 
you know, uh, we've played the crap out of that uh, Pitfall, uh, the Defender version on the 2600. We played all that, got into it. Um, and then uh, uh, my mom relented once, and we were at a garage sale, and she bought us an NES. And so we moved up another generation to the, the NES and played Mario and all that. Uh, meanwhile, this is like 93, and people are playing Super Nintendo, and, you know, it's like we're just, you know, Luddites, I guess, uh, of the gaming community um, back then. And uh, Now, did you have a sense, John? So back then you guys were playing these old, these old classics, and other people are playing, like, Super Mario. And uh, did you have a sense for there's all these other, like, latest generation cool games that some of your friends at school are talking about? And you're behind yeah. the times? Like, did you feel like you were a second-class video gaming citizen? A little bit. Um, it was kind of interesting. Um, so when we played, uh, um, you know, NES, uh, we had neighbors, uh, the neighbor that had an NES, and we, we played that, you know, shortly after the Pong experience, you know, and, that, and, uh, uh, and you know, we played some Mario 2, Mario 3 kind of stuff, and... And then um, my cousin, actually, is a huge uh, gamer. Um, she actually was uh, um, really into gaming, anime, MST3K, got me involved in all that goodness. Um, and, uh, yeah, she had she would always have the latest console. So, I mean, we'd see glimpses of Genesis and Sonic and <laughs> uh, Sega CD she had, and, you know, all this crazy stuff. And we're like, oh, you know, we'd, we'd want to visit all the time and play – um, and then we'd just go back home and be like, well, let's play Mario now or let's play Spy Hunter on the NES, you know. But, you know, we had fun. And um, and then once we got our computer, um, I think in, it was Windows 95, uh, the first computer we got, I kind of got into PC gaming mm-hmm. pretty big. Now, um, now, play... Yeah? Uh, let, let me float a theory here, and this can segue into the game you want to talk about. Do you think that having grown up with things like like Pong and Combat and you know Adventure, where you have the duck and the arrow, and uh, do you think that stuff is instrumental to you being able to enjoy something like Dwarf Fortress that has no graphics? Maybe. <laughs> uh, I, I haven't thought of it that way ever before, but I guess uh, I never had a problem back then. You know. Uh, but I don't. I don't know. I'm, I don't. I, can, I don't see the world through somebody else's eyes. So I don't know how people see that. To me, it's it. it it's a game. It looks. It's. I. I said this to my friend when I was talking about Dwarf Fortress. Uh, it's like the Matrix. You know, when they have the big, uh, the green letters on the screen, and everyone looks at that and it's garbage. And I look at it. You know, Dwarf Fortress. I'm like, oh, that's the tree. That's the thing. You know, like I see everything. You know. That's that's a lovely analogy, John. Very nicely put. <laughs> yeah. now, now, tell me, so I mentioned before, uh, I know very little about Dwarf Fortress. I'm a total, mm-hmm. uh, I, I'm a blank slate here. Explain to me, like I'm a child, what is Dwarf Fortress? Okay, well, um, it's a game you play on your computer. <laughs> okay, um, explain to me like um, I'm maybe a child in <laughs> high. <laughs> okay, okay. I'm sorry. I couldn't resist. Uh, so, uh, Dwarf Fortress is an ASCII game, which is, uh, or, or often recalled like a roguelike, which is, uh, Rogue was an old ASCII game. Um, uh, and so that's pretty much the only similarity to the main Dwarf Fortress mode of Dwarf Fortress, the game, that um, what most people talk about when they play. Uh, they have other modes in the game where you're kind of doing a roguelike adventure mode where you're playing kind of an RPG, walking around a world, but nobody really plays that compared to the 
very deep fortress building mode. Um, and so what Wolf Fortress is, is you kind of, it's, it's, it's like, uh, Oregon Trail on like crack. Um, cause you start <laughs> off with your little group of seven dwarves, uh, and you can give them skills, equipment, uh, provisions, um, and like animal companions or like a horse or cow is to milk eventually. And you kind of go on your adventure, you skip the trail part, you get to the end, and then you kind of have to figure out what the heck do we do? Like, yeah, dig, strike the earth, go underground, find some rock, make some houses, you know, just kind of, uh, um, it's basically a, like a, a world building kind of fortress building sim. Now, so does it always start you, like you start always with seven dwarves and you mentioned being able to give them skills. Is that stuff that happens in the context of building a fortress or is that something you build beforehand? Yeah, it's, it's like Oregon Trail was, where, where you would have, you pick your starting thing, and you buy your supplies. You know, okay. You, so with this, you pick, you know, what you want your dwarves to be, and then you pick your starting supplies, and then you just kind of say, all right, shove off. Let's go to the unexplored wilderness and build a fortress. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, throughout through building the fortress, you can give people new skills. Um, uh, you can pretty much, you know, you can have a, a super-duper amazing miner and then just be like, we need more people on the farm. So you just throw his, throw like, you now are a farmer, and then he'll slowly learn how to be a farmer, you know, uh, through time. Um, uh, but this game is just hyper-complex, um, which is, I think, why I really dig it, um, especially with the having a lot of, I guess, tabletop gaming background and all that kind of neat world-building simulation aspect of D&D is kind of uh, something I really enjoy. And now it unfolds in real time, right? This is no, this yep. is no like, like Rogue is turn-based and that every time you move one space, the world advances one tick. Uh, this isn't something where you're directly controlling dudes and moving them, right? It's a real-time, nope. it progresses on its own. Mm-hmm. And how do you interact with these dudes? Can you give them orders? Mm, they, they're very autonomous. You can give them jobs to do, and then they'll follow that. So if you want a dwarf to uh, stop mining and start, like, engraving the floor or smoothing out stone, you just change his um, uh, job to uh, job title to include, you know, engraving. You know, you can go into their settings and just say, okay, now you are okay to do engraving, and then you set an engraving task, and then your engravers, whoever's set to be an engraver, um, I'll say the word engraver ten more times, um, <laughs> will go and do the engraving, you know, and so uh, it's just kind of how it works. It's, it's They kind of have their own free will, which is what's really neat about the game, um, and they can do some pretty messed up stuff sometimes when they get angry. Um, it's it's uh, yeah so it's it's very much you're kind of nudging them with a stick not really telling them where to go you're just pointing them in the right direction and hopefully they figure it out so part of my frame of reference for this john is i, I think of I, I hear you talking about this and it reminds me of a game called majesty and i don't know if you're familiar with majesty but majesty has little autonomous heroes and you can drop flags on the map with sums of gold uh, that encourage them to go to this area and do this particular activity, and the more gold, the more incentive there is. And, for instance, a thief in Majesty is greedier about gold and more inclined to do it, whereas wizards aren't that worried about it, so they aren't, gonna, they aren't so much flag whores like thieves are. So is, is Dwarf Fortress a bit like that, where you're dropping tasks on a map? How do you, how do you interact yeah. with the game? Very, very similar. Um, uh, we're... 
in Dwarf Fortress, you can, uh, like, let's say you want to cut down a swath of trees outside your thing. You um, actually will uh, use, the, you know, the keyboard to select an area of land and say, chop trees, and then it'll basically throw that into the, the world, and anyone that has that skill, depending on what they're doing at the time or whether they feel like it, will come out and start uh, chopping down trees. So uh, very similar to that. Yeah, and uh, when you have, like, workshops where you want somebody to build um, – a wooden like barrel or something you just put in the workshop queue build barrel and then when somebody who's a wood a woodworker has time they'll come and do that so yeah you basically just set tasks and uh things for people to do on the on the map and they'll eventually go and do it now you talked about dwarves getting angry uh and i know i've heard stories about dwarves going insane uh mm-hmm. I presume these dwarves are just little tiny ASCII characters, but they probably, they each have stats or, or whatever. It, explain to me how you know a dwarf is angry. How are these dwarves expressed in the game? Well, they're little faces. <laughs> and so you can't really tell when someone's angry, except for the fact that the game kind of has a notification system where if uh, a dwarf uh, throws a tantrum, is uh, kind of how it starts. Uh, it literally say, so-and-so, the dwarf's crazy dwarf name, uh, is throwing a tantrum. And, uh, and they'll go around breaking tables and, <laughs> and beat, punching other dwarves and, you know, locking themselves in their room, you know, just basically being jerks. Um, and so you can kind of, once you figure out who it is, the name, then you can, like, like look through the map, find their little icon, and then once you hover over it with uh, the cursor, well, not really a mouse cursor, but you move the keyboard cursor on the map over them. You can look at their, like, uh, status. Uh, you can go bring up, like, a status and read their little life story uh, and, you know, kind of see what's irking them. Uh, and and do they, I presume dwarves can, like, die and get killed and uh, what? Oh, all the time. That's the game. <laughs> so there, there you're, so you mentioned the Oregon Trail thing. I assume there are also issues of like starvation, and they need to feed themselves and, and protect themselves from wild animals. What what are the challenges that face the dwarves in this fortress? Well, it depends. And the beauty of this game is that when you start the game up, uh, it builds a world for you in the engine. Like it goes through the timeline of history of thousands of years of the world that you're in. History it populates the world with monsters, uh, goblin camps, realistic civilizations waxing and waning and fighting each other uh, up until the point where you go. And so the world is really well built, and there's all sorts of crap. Um, and this actually reminds me of one of the funny things, a, a phrase that often said about the game is, "Remember, losing is fun." Like that is a big part of the game is that. You can't be afraid to lose because sometimes uh, – here's an example of something. Uh, when I was building a fortress – actually, I was using um, uh, Kalistas uh, off the forums. I don't know if I'm pronouncing his username correctly, but he made a tutorial. Uh, of, I think it was a, a tutorial on his After Action Reporter website. Amazing starting tutorial if you want to get into the game. Um, but on that map, there are, um, like, giant spiders, and uh, one of my – dwarves, uh, you know, I, I saw, saw the dwar- giant spider over there, and so I'm like, okay, everyone kind of stay away from that area. We'll just kind of, I won't do anything over there. And a bunch of settlers came right past the spider. <laughs> and so this giant spider shooting web at my my new migrants who just, like, you know, just showed up, like, hey, what's going on? <laughs> oh, God, giant spider. And they're just getting webbed to death. And then, you know, that triggers my um, uh guys to go out and like pick up the bodies and clean up you know and like and it's just oh no oh no you know 
normally could go in and disable if you're fast enough or smart enough to disable like picking up bodies. So it's like don't go over there, lock yourselves in, you know. But uh, I, it was too late, and so the spider kills them and then just kind of chains its way back to my fortress through all the people walking towards it. And it just instant massacre, and it's just like you know. I lost, you know, hours of gameplay building, but it was so much fun to watch that happen. You know, I don't really care. And um, this actually reminds me of us. Uh, if you've ever heard of Boat Murdered? Oh, that sounds familiar. What is that? It's, uh, it was a somethingawful.com let's play kind of thing where they went through a succession game, um, and it's very uh, historic uh, in this because it basically goes through the rise and fall of a fortress in all of the hilarity that ensues. Uh, just just hilarious, horrible things. Giant, rampaging elephants stomping everything. And then you have your craft dwarves that build, like, uh, uh, murals and engravings, drawing pictures of elephants killing dwarves in horrific fashion. And, you know, like, because the, the world will basically kind of build around the events that happen. So, like, if you have a bunch of... Uh, military dwarves that kick ass and kill a bunch of, you know, squid men or snail men or whatever um, monsters that might be in your area, you know, you'll have people build works of art that, you know, make them heroes and kind of stuff. And it just, it's, it's very deep. I could, it's the deepest game I think that exists, you know. Um, and uh, so Boat Murdered was just a very pristine example of how losing can be very fun. Mm -hmm. Um and actually, if you want to put this on the thread, I have a bunch of links to uh, Dwarf Fortress. Um, there is uh, the Boat Murdered. There was uh, some recent ones called what, There was Bronze Murder. Um, that somebody did a beautiful illustration of um, uh, an illustrated kind of Dwarf Fortress horror story. And then he recently did, I think last week, one called Oil Furnace, which was another horrible story of dwarves being destroyed by monsters that is hilarious. Um, do you always lose in Dwarf Fortress? Is everything bound to fall apart in the end? Yeah, pretty much. Uh, the way that it works is uh, you pretty much go and expand and expand and expand and expand and expand until you can't manage it anymore, and then something happens that just tips the scales and everything falls apart, and the whole you know card castle falls down, and you know it, it it's still fun though. I mean, it's just. Because the way that the game works is you get put in a random area where random new stuff happens every time you restart. So it's always fun to restart a new fortress because crazy stuff's going to happen every time. Now, you, you um, mentioned – oh, go ahead. Sorry. Oh, no. Uh, and basically what happens is, like, a lot of times people go uh, dig for, like, adamantine or, like, really rare metals and dig deep, deep, deep. And the deeper you go, the bigger chance you're going to meet, you know, a horrific beast – of like horribleness, you know, like a like a uh, a giant dragon or a giant, you know, tentacle beast underground that will be unleashed, you know, in the world uh, through your, I guess, uh, greed <laughs> from digging too deep. You would um, you would think after the whole Balrog incident uh, in Middle Earth, dwarves would have learned by now. Uh, no, they they like their metal too much. <laughs> now, the risk. now you mentioned with the, the the your new settlers coming in and walking past the spiders and getting massacred, and the dwarves going out to tidy up the bodies, and you trying to stop them from getting near the spiders. Uh, one of the the common complaints I hear about Dwarf Fortress, and I think one of the the big obstacles for people who are curious about it, is the interface. Uh, mm -hmm. 
Is that, uh, and it sounded like that's something you had to struggle with to keep your dwarves from wandering into the maw of these spiders. Uh, mm -hmm. Tell me a bit about the interface of Dwarf Fortress, and how much of a problem is it? It, it, it is, and it isn't. It is a problem when you're first playing, and uh, it is just totally arcane and not anything you'd ever want to do with your life is spend hours and hours just failing your fortresses because you don't know how to do it. And then you just eventually kind of work your way. You know, uh, it's uh, Thomas Edison invented the electric, uh, what did he invent, electricity? Yeah, so many times the wrong way, and then eventually he got it. And that's kind of how it works. You just fail so many times that you finally accumulate enough knowledge to be able to survive and kind of build your own uh and uh, it's it's part of the fun of it, though. I guess I, I guess if that's something that bothers you, and that's losing, um, or or having to really work at a game to get better at it, like I could really see that being. If you're not that type of person, then it's well, no, because I've played. I've I go back to hardcore flight sims, and I have never been daunted by an interface. I don't mind tough interfaces, and I can deal with that, especially if I know there's a game in there I want to play. So I hear you talking about Dwarf Fortress, and I'm kind of imagining. Okay, so you got to use the cursor keys to move. A a cursor around the screen, and then there's probably a hotkey to to issue a command, right? Like, is that is it that simple? Is that all there is to it? Yeah, you move the arrows around. Um, like, uh, uh, P would be you know to make a stockpile, so people move stuff to that area. Mm -hmm. um, the I think I think it's W. I don't remember exactly, but one of the keys is a workshop key, and you just hit that, scroll through lists, you know, hit that, and then place it in the world where you want them to build it, you know. And so it's. I don't understand why people think it's that complicated because it's not that complicated. It's 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 somewhat complicated, but it's something that once when you play it for a little while, for a couple hours, it just starts to click. You know, you start, you know, thinking of of just the way that the keys work. And it, every time I go into it after taking a long break, I still have that couple twenty minutes just trying to figure out, okay, how does this work? And then. Once you get into it, you're just kind of flying through it. But now, can I uh, hook up my Xbox 360 controller to play? Oh God, <laughs> that would be an experience. Uh, are uh, there any like I think of NetHack, which has an ASCII. Uh, it's an ASCII game, uh, and there are all these like front ends for NetHack, which add little graphics tiles and stuff. Are there any mods or things like that for Dwarf Fortress? So they do have a little tile-based front end. Okay. Uh, Big time. You uh, a lot of people make tiles, and that really helps a lot. Like um, the, um, the the tile sets that people make uh, actually uh, ASCII by nature is uh, rectangular squares. You know, like uh, the the whole world's rectangular because the ASCII uh, a font is you know not a square for each uh, character. Right. Um, but there are tile sets that make it squares. Um, and then add little dwarf avatars, and it's if you look around on, on forums, you'll see pictures of, of people with tile sets, and it looks like a completely different game when you use a, a really deep tile set. You know, it looks almost like an 8-bit game. Do you personally use any of these, or are you strictly old school? I use them because, uh, as we mentioned with WoW, I'm an aforementioned graphics whore. <laughs> 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 I, I did play it in the original ASCII when I started, um, back when it was 2D. The game used to be just a flat plane, and you're digging into a mountain, and now it's up and down and left and right. Whoa, wait a minute. Oh, so there's, like, different levels. That, see, I can imagine that, John, right there being part of, like, an interface challenge is people are, like, because I always thought of it as 2D where you just push into uh, the side of a mountain, but you can go up and That's down. the old school. Ah, 
Okay, I can see that being challenging. Now, so yeah. once you've got a fortress going, you mentioned you start with seven dwarves. How, does it get big? Like, do you ever have like tens of dozens of dwarves, or how many? What, what is a what does a really advanced, developed fortress look like? Hundreds. Whoa! Uh, I, I've had uh, the fortress that I have now that I kind of abandoned for a couple months. I haven't been playing uh, until very recently when I thought I was going to do this. Um, the uh, I have like 50, 60 right now, um, and you have to build them each a little, little uh, place to sleep. You know, they each have their own little. So I have like a dwarven dormitory built, just little rooms where everyone's got a bed and a, a, a bookcase to put stuff in. Um, and uh, yeah, so it's it's kind of neat. It, it just really ramps up over time. New immigrants come in. You know, you draft a militia. You 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 basically just yeah, you just build a town from scratch, and it's really neat. It's now, not really a town because it's a cave underground, but, you know, you get the idea. And I'm guessing there's a whole, like, resource chain. I think of, like, city builders, like the, the Dawn, of Dis- uh, Dawn of Discovery games and, uh, like, SimCity stuff, or, or Settlers, that's what I'm trying to think of. Are there resource okay, yeah. chains like that where you're trying to, like, develop advanced goods and s- selling them? And what, what's the resource model like? Uh, somewhat, yeah. Uh, so basically you just need to basically make, your dwarfs survive in the wilderness, so you need food. What do they eat? What do dwarves eat? What do they eat? Uh, they eat uh, plump helmets. Plump helmets? <laughs> yeah, it's a type of mushroom. And oh. so, like, that, <laughs> if, you're, if you're a noob playing the game, a newbie, um, that's what you want. You want plump helmets because they eat those and they leave the seeds behind that you can plant to make more. And it's just kind of like the stock like food that they can make. Um, they eat that. They eat, uh, you can catch you can hunters, catch animals. You get fisher dwarves, catch fish. Um, and then you can have a little kitchen that you make, and then they have people making eels out of the raw materials of food you have um, that you can store. Um, so they eat food. Uh, they eat is one of the dwarves a cook? Like, is there a cook dwarf? Is that part you can make of it? You can make a cook dwarf. Um, uh, you can make, yeah, pretty much any job you can think of in some old uh, fantasy town that there is. Uh, <laughs> I mean, there's, like, a dedicated leather worker. There's dedicated tanning. You can have a dedicated tanner, someone just tans hides. And is that for armor? Do they need clothes, or is that, like, a combat kind of thing? Everyone comes with their own clothes, and uh, that doesn't seem to be too much of a problem. You can make armor with, uh, like, a forge and uh, armorsmith, an armor dwarf, um, armorsmith, and, you know, um, make hammers to uh, outfit your militia with so they have big hammers to hit things with. Um... And uh, the militia right now in the game is really badly built because uh, he did a, kind of an overhaul where you would have patrols and all sorts of, uh, like, a schedule with a calendar in place where you'd have different, you could have different squads on and off duty and stuff. And it's just right now it's kind of early phases because the game's just every couple months a new uh, release or patch will come out, a new version will come out with uh, all sorts of new balance things and new systems and stuff. Uh, so it's constantly evolving, and uh, like we talked about, it started out 2D, and now it's a 3D game. Like it's, uh, it was a huge jump for me personally because I played so much of the 2D version. But the idea was just go as far right as you can into that mountain until you die because monsters get you, you know. Uh, and it's a different game now, um, but it's a lot of fun. Now, uh, so you, you talked about the schedules and the militia patrolling. Uh, what, what is combat like? Is it just that they'll fend for themselves? Are you ever fighting battles? 
I've never actually gotten into a, a battle scenario. If you read Boat Murder, they get raided by goblins every once in a while. Big goblin groups will come at them. But I've only ever dealt with monsters that I've discovered underground or have come by my base or, like, wild animals. Like, a, uh, you'll have, like, a cougar that is just around that just attacks, you know, so you have to have a hunter go out and shoot arrows at him. Um, but the way the combat kind of works is you draft a military, you set people as military, um, and uh, they go about their daily duties, and then once you, like, are in combat, or you'll, a little thing will come up and saying, uh, so-and-so got attacked, a little notification. Then you can just hit space bar to pause, go into the military menu, put the military as active. They all kind of, like, uh, you know, uh, Ghostbuster style, go down the little pole into their room, <laughs> put all their gear on, and then run out, you know, uh, and then you click on the enemy, and or not click, but you, you hit enter on the enemy and type, like, kill this thing, and then they will all run towards it and kill it, you know. And uh, generally they do when they're in army mode, will defend themselves. So you just put them on patrol near an area, they will, anything nearby that wants to hurt them, they'll attack. And now it's just, pretty fun watching the combat. You, you just now said something that scared me a little bit, John. Is there a text-based interface going on here? You have to type in kill? Oh, no, 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 no. They, they all have options over, like, so you'll select... The, the, the monster or whatever by kind of hovering over it with the status key, and then there'll be options on that to be like uh, okay. uh, kill or detain. I, I don't know if there's a detain, but like, you know, and so you can set to kill or scare off or something, right. and then right. you switch it to activate, you know, engage, and you fight them. Now, I, I don't want to get too clinical here, but I, I have to say I'm curious. So you start off with seven dwarves. How are new dwarves made? Oh, funny you should ask. Uh, well, when a, <laughs> a daddy dwarf and a mommy dwarf love each other... Okay, so wait, uh, hold on. So there are female dwarves? Yes. No, there's no such thing. Uh, they're, they're in this game, and you can imagine them to look like whatever you want. They're little squares, so you don't know. Uh, so wait a minute, do dwarves... Uh, all right, well, I'm curious now, and, and this is the Sims player in me. Uh, how, how does this work? Do they do they get married? Are dwarves monogamous, John? I don't... I, I'm pretty sure in, in Dwarf Fortress they are. I haven't... Uh, it's kind of a newer thing. I played a lot more when it was 2D, and back then they didn't... Dwarves couldn't procreate. It was just you would get more dwarves in your fortress by migrants coming in every season um, and build up slowly through that. Whereas now they actually can have kids... Um, uh, and uh, so, yeah, like uh, two dwarves will just kind of meet randomly in the game. It's all simulated. Um, they'll become, I guess, friends, hang out, eat together maybe, and then they, one thing leads to another, and they hang out in each other's bedroom and shows up a, a baby dwarf. You know, John, it's called, uh, it's called Woohoo. If you've played The Sims, that's what that's, what that's called, Woohoo. Oh, really? It's yes. not Whoopi? No, it's not Whoopi. It's not Whoopi. Okay. This is not the newlywed game, John. Uh, <laughs> in The Sims, it's Woohoo. Uh, okay. I, I don't know what dwarves would call it. Uh, so procreation is new. Like, that's something that it used to be just a settler-based model, but now there are kids. So that makes me wonder then, how long can, can dwarves die? How long does a dwarf live? I don't think I've had a fortress last long enough to find that out. Ah, okay. Uh, <laughs> uh, it's never been a problem. A lot of times, they uh, being a dwarf in Dwarf Fortress is a hard life. You're going to die a horrible death, most likely. The lucky people are the ones that starve to death. 
<laughs> Good Lord, wow. Now tell me, okay, so tell me a little bit about, you mentioned you booted up this one game that you had going. Is it hard to jump back into a fortress with 50 dwarves in it? Yes. And what, what can you tell by looking at it? Can you describe for me your your current dwarf fortress fortress? Oh, man, I wish I had it up right now. Um, but can you tell uh, me what are they building? How are they doing? What are their challenges? Can you describe yeah, the layout? Sure. Mm-hmm. All right, so uh, on the top level, I kind of made a uh, – it's just basically a hole in the ground in the middle of an area. Um, and there was a lake up there that I drained down into a lower level um, to get the uh, dirt on the ground moist so you could farm. Uh, and it's a weird system they have in place right now. The farming's a little broken, or at least it was when I played a couple months ago. I don't know if they fixed it since then, but um, it's uh, – so I have a you know a little uh, a level down a couple levels down is a little farming area and then a couple more levels down is kind of the main floor. There's a big uh, workshop room with all the workshops. Uh, there's a big storeroom next to it where all the crafted goods go. Um, and then a couple levels down is kind of the living quarters um, where I have all the little uh, apartments, uh, little rooms for them. And I have a, a big giant dining hall with big statues that I put around. You know, nice statues to look at. Um, what do the statues put, do? Are they is there like morale that's, or something? What, what's the point of having statues? Uh, yeah, it's kind of morale, I guess. Uh, if you look at their little uh, descriptions of their lives, it'll, they'll, if you build, uh, like, uh, you know, a nice engravings or on the walls or, or have a nice piece of art or a statue that someone's made, you know, you might see, in, if you look through their little thing, the little tale of how they've been doing lately, it'll say, so-and-so has looked at a beautiful statue lately, you know, oh. like, and so, like, they mention that and they notice that and it, Dwarves that throw tantrums are generally dwarves that I guess aren't being very happy with their lot in life. Um, and so, uh, yeah, like, uh, doing that kind of, I guess, ups the morale. A lot so, of so there's stuff. feedback on a per-dwarf basis, like Roller Coaster Tycoon, for instance. You look at a little dude and find out yeah. like what he likes or what he wants, and okay. okay. Mm-hmm. And most of the time they want alcohol because that's what dwarves want. Ah, uh, there, goes, there goes the E rating, I'm afraid. Yeah, you, you brew a lot of beer and wine <laughs> in that game. Always need more barrels to make more wine. Uh, and so do you have in your big fortress, are there some dwarves who are, say, more prominent than, than others? Like, do you get a, mo- a more powerful, badass dude? Is there, like, a leader dwarf? Yes, actually. They actually uh, – there's an expedition leader kind of that starts off. Um, and, and uh, But eventually, once you're uh, – city is deemed good enough by the dwarven capital that you left from, they'll send out a caravan with nobles. Ah. Maybe a, uh, like a lord or uh, uh, a count or something that, that'll come out and basically you have to give them a nice plush room. You have to build them that. You've got to give them an office where they can have like a little throne and give decrees off of and uh, or else they get mad. And then every once in a while they'll throw down a decree that says uh, you, we have to make wood crafts now to sell. You know, and so it's like, all right, well, we got to focus on making wood crafts now. And so it's kind of an interesting uh, system they have. I've never gotten to the nobles part personally, which is crazy because I love this game. I play it a ton, but I, I have, I guess, I'm not at the skill level to where my fortress can survive or be good enough to be noble worthy. <laughs> now, who who made Dwarf Fortress? Isn't it a one man operation? I think it's a, uh, a dude and his brother, uh, Toady. I think is he is his name. Uh, is, is he a Swede? Isn't he of some sort of uh, Scandinavian that. stock? <laughs> Sounds right for the type of game it is, but uh, <laughs> I don't really know. Uh, okay. um, he's 
he oh here I have the wiki up. Um but yeah, it's just kind of like a one or two guy uh situation. He's doing it all himself. He lives off the game, basically, because it gets enough donations from people. It's completely free, but if you want to throw him ten bucks and every time a new version comes out, feel free. Mm-hmm. Uh he apparently makes enough off that to live off of. Mm-hmm. Um so that's cool. It's very cool. He's kinda of living the dream there. Um uh and now, now this makes me wonder. Have you seen Minecraft, which is obviously influenced? I, I say obviously influenced. When I hear about it, I think of it as a dwarf fortress with a more 3D oriented front end and centered on one player, you know, one person, that a player's was, perspective. Uh, that was one of my suggestions for games to do for this podcast. I think was one of the things I was thinking about was Minecraft because I really like me some Minecraft. I've been playing a lot of that game. Uh, and it's you know kind of similar. It's uh, uh, at least in the single player, it's a very survival-based game. So you get in the world, you build your little tunnel and get light, and you start building tools, and you know you just kind of build your own little uh, one-man dwarf fortress, basically. You know, um, and then the multiplayer's got is more kind of about a sandbox where you can make all sorts of crazy. Things. I mean, if you go to the forums and you look at the threads for the multiplayer one, you can see all the crazy stuff people from quarter to three have been making, and there's some crazy stuff that's been made on that server. Now, when you um, say multiplayer, this isn't like a succession game where people are just passing along a saved game. Is this something where people log in yep. to a server? Log into a server. Yep. Everyone's playing on, to- on at the same time. You can walk around. and. Oh, at the same time. They're in the same yeah, world at the together. same time. Ah. Yep. Oh, I, did, I didn't really know it fun. had that. Wow. That's huge. Uh, yeah, and the, and what what they're talking about building the guy who's building that who apparently has made hundreds of thousands of dollars now from selling this thing it's blown up recently. Um, he's a Swede, so there you go. Um, and uh, uh, they're talking about getting a multiplayer survival mode in, so you can basically be every man's a dwarf in the fortress, you know, working uh, and watching out for monsters and stuff. Um, so uh, that's really cool to look forward to. Um, like an MMO Dwarf Fortress kind of thing. Yeah, uh, not, not an MMO because you're going to have your own personal servers, but, you know, uh, a persistent world, basically. Okay, you know? right, right. Uh, and that, that's really cool to me. I mean, like, I'm really looking forward to that. You know, screw the games coming out this fall. I'm, I want to <laughs> know when the new Minecraft survival mode comes out. Now, uh, let me ask you this, John. What does your girlfriend think of Dwarf Fortress? Baffled. It's like, uh, is your computer broken? Like, you see the screen full of the ASCII on it. You're like, oh, no, I'm playing a game. I can uh, imagine it probably it might look like one of those, like, like when the computer just locks up and puts up random characters. Yeah. Like, some terrible crash. <laughs> yeah. I I played, uh, I started playing, uh, I think, before I met her, but um, I used to play it a lot, and uh, I talked to her about it sometimes about all the funny stuff that happens in your fortress and the weird, crazy stuff that happens and how you fail horrifically, but it's hilarious, you know. Um, but uh, I would definitely suggest reading the boat murdered story if you get some time. Like, uh, we can link it up, but, like, it is hilarious. And you don't need to know Dwarf Fortress to find it funny because just the horrible, just one bad thing after another that happens to these plucky little dwarves is just really funny. Um Okay, so someone who wants to get into Dwarf Fortress, uh, you recommended, you mentioned earlier Callista's uh, uh, tutorial. Is that a, a tutorial, like a starting position, or is it a text file, or a YouTube video? What, what is the, the best way to get into the game, and how does Callista help people? 
Okay, well, uh, one thing is that the game has changed a lot since that thing came out. So it's an older version, but if you get learn an older version, you can move on to the newer one, you know. Uh, so I would suggest you go to his website. Um, I, I'm not sure if it's still up, but he has a physical zip file with a, a, a starting area started, and so you can follow along his tutorial um, and basically do everything he does. Like he said, you know, it'd be like dig here, build a, a, a hallway here, and you can kind of follow it, and it, it's a, it just it walks you right through it, and it's really well built. I mean, like, that's how I kind of got back into Dwarf Fortress um, was through that, like, because I had taken a break after it switched to 3D and I had a hard time learning it, but um, that really helped me a lot. Um, I suppose for someone completely new to it, it might be a little bit more difficult, but uh, uh, I would definitely suggest checking that out if you're interested. Okay, good. Um, good. Uh, and is Dwarf Fortress at, uh, does he have DwarfFortress.com? Do you know? Uh, no, it's, uh, let me get the website. I have it up. It's bay12games.com slash dwarves. Is bay12 what I think it is? Is that does that is that a reference to... Do you know what that's a reference to? I have no clue. Is that not from Aliens, where, where Ripley uses the loader to pick up something and asks Apollon, where do you want this? And he laughs and says, bay12. Did I just make that it up? Very well, it very well could be. I have no clue. Yeah, that's... that's um, okay. His, uh, so if you just go to bay12games.com, there's a link to Dwarf Fortress right okay. there, too. And actually, a new version... As we are speaking, has just been released. Ah, what's new in it? Do you know? I patch notes are going to be confusing. <laughs> uh, and so, how often are these new versions out? Uh, like, uh, this is something like he's regularly like every couple of weeks. There's like a new build. Mm-hmm. Yeah, every month or so, there's a new build. Uh, now, will this uh, break? Yes. Will this break previous fortresses? Like, if you get the new build, can you still use your fortress? Uh, no, actually, you have to restart from that executable. Okay. So you can keep your old ah, folder another folder and play the old version. You, know, you can still download all the old versions. If you want to play 2D classic, you know, all these people with their new 3D Dwarf <laughs> Fortress, and, you know, I like the old version. You can still play all that. It's still there. Um, and, you know, you can just have a folder with all that in it, and it's kind of self-contained in that. So um, that's oh. why Callista's tutorial works, because you can just play it through I the see. folder. Now, now, let me ask you, John, how, how many gigabytes does the install take? Oh, uh, something like, uh, well, let me just get the Windows, uh, let me download that and see how big the file is. Uh, downloading, uh, seven megabytes. Oh, it can't be so. very good. If that's, if that's how big <laughs> it is, it can't be a very good game if it's just seven megabytes. Oh, but, but if you look at the price versus megabytes ratio. Ah, very good. Zero dollars, so, I mean... Very good. Well, John, I, I love hearing people talk about Dwarf Fortress. I had, so there's a fella on the forum who, uh, I don't know if he's part of y'all's World of Warcraft group, but, uh, he's a, he's a wow addict. A fellow named Mike Cathcart, uh, who's a fantastic guy, and I, he once showed me his Dwarf Fortress fortress, which I, I can't, I mean, you have to be a certain type of person to look at that screen of ASCII art and have somebody point at a little figure and say, this is so-and-so, and here's his job, and here's what he does, and to have somebody point that stuff out to you and spin out, you know, this story that they've built around it. And I loved watching Cathcart show me his Dwarf Fortress fortress. Uh, so between that and hearing you talk about it, I I just think you, it, it's, it's an easy sell for a certain type of player, Dwarf Fortress. And you know what the great thing about Dwarf Fortress is? is that mm-hmm. If you can't play it and it's too much for you, there's all these amazing stories like Boat Murdered, right. you know, Bronze Murder, Oil Furnace, all these hilarious stories. You can read about it, and it's really cool. I mean, even if you can't play it, it's fun to hear about, you know. Uh, were you part of any succession games like that on quarter to three? 
I think I was. Did you do uh, anything horrible to someone else's dwarves? No, I didn't. Okay. I didn't do that. Good. That's a good I, thing. I, I, I know. I think that was when I was first getting back into it. And so I didn't know any of the tricky stuff that people can do. And uh, I've never really been that deep into the mechanics of it. I just kind of enjoy building a little fortress. And Well, see, that's, that's John why no nobles are moving into your dwarf fortress. I know. I don't have ambition. It's like my, my mom always said. <laughs> well, well, John, I'm going to ask you now. I don't know if you're ready for this. I'm going to ask you a completely random question that has nothing to do with anything that we've talked about. Okay. Here we go. I know, th- I know this game. All right. This will also, of course, be a, a thread on the forum, and everybody who answers it according to the secret rule, which I'll tell in a little bit, goes in for a free drawing, uh, for a, 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 free, a drawing for a free game. Here's the question. What vegetable can you not abide? Oh, <laughs> I don't even have to think about this. Uh, onion. Oh, uh, come on. Really? Okay. I, I have, I am like the least picky eater in the world, but raw onion on something, it's just, it's basically a bull, the bully of vegetables because it just <laughs> takes over the flavor. You know, it's just, you get something with raw onion on it and your entire thing tastes like raw onion. Where it's like I, I just it's it's too much. Like a cooked onion, you know, uh, in a stir fry or in a curry or something like that, I can I, I can fine with. But it's just raw onion, so I'll make that stipulation. It has to be raw. Raw well, onion is just no good. Well, wait a minute. How about don't tell me if you get like a an awesome cheeseburger, you don't want like some red onion on that. You, you're gonna have your cheeseburger without red onion. If it's sautéed onion, I, I'm, it's good. But if it's if it's uh, if it's raw it goes off the burger all right take it off fair enough fair enough Mm -hmm. because my answer would be and i I guess this is a vegetable yeah this has got to be a vegetable are pickles a vegetable uh what you don't like pickles see that's the thing you call onions the bully of vegetables (laughs) but if i have pickles on something then i might as well just steep it in vinegar before i eat it i cannot stand like maybe even eating a pickle alone like a dill pickle that could be interesting but i don't want vinegar on the stuff i'm eating and that's what a pickle is it's just like vinegar and the 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 cucumber that's at the heart of the pickle is just a delivery vehicle uh, for the vinegar and i I don't want vinegar on my burger. Uh, I'm a big pickle fan. I've always been a big pickle fan. But but I can, I can understand. It is also like the onion. It has a very unique and powerful flavor to it. Well, if you and I ever go out and we get burgers, it's going to be very clear to tell whose burger belongs to whom. I'll say yours... no onions. You'll say no pickles. Exactly. Right. Right. <laughs> so, All right. So uh, if you post in that thread, it will be under uh, the Everything Else subforum. Post what vegetable can you not abide, make sure you A, answer the question, and B, end your post with a comma. The very last character, and it might look silly, but the very last character in your post must be a comma. Make it work somehow. I guess there's no way to work it other than just stick a a comma there. Uh, If you satisfy those two criteria, you go into the drawing for uh, a free game. Now, you've got a 360, right? Because I think you're on my friends list. Yep, yep. What, what console systems do you have? Uh, 360 and a billion old game systems. Oh, that's right. You're Atari 2600. Do you have, if I was to come over to your house right now with, like, some awesome cartridge that I found at a garage sale, do you have somewhere hooked up an Atari 2600? Sadly, no. Okay. It's at you... my parents' house right now, and the RF adapter on it kind of is broken, so I need to get that <laughs> fixed. 
But I love how many people your age know what an RF adapter is. By the way, uh, probably not enough. <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, John, I really appreciate you hanging out with me today. It's been great here. Yeah, it was uh, a lot of fun. Yeah, I love listening to your voice. Again, I, I don't want to make you uncomfortable, but I you have an awesome radio voice and. Uh, uh, yeah. So, and I loved hearing about Dwarf Fortress. That was very cool of you to to tell me about that. So, I'm spreading the good word. Good work. Good work. Uh, all right. So, uh, ladies and gentlemen, John Rowe. John, thanks for hanging out with me, and I will be seeing you around on the forum.